Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do you like beer? Do you like free? How about, you guessed it, free beer? As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious and painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash chels and cover just the postage of four ninety five. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Chels podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's ten free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise, then, that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash Chels to get your case free. And don't forget right now, the Chels podcast listeners get two extra free beers. Hello and welcome to the Chills. Well, after a week when we beat Bayern Munich on penalties, smashed Leicester away in the cup and looking forward to dismantling West Ham at their running track, we have to leave this alternative universe and come back to reality. And here is the very real Mr Andy Saunders. How are you? Yeah, are you well? I, yeah, I, I am. I am well. You know, like how's every- the self-isolating going? Well, Jackie's still upstairs. Um, it's now day nine, so I think mm. we've got another five more days to go. I think Sunday Poor she can, Jackie. I know, I know. She can come out in on Sunday. So um, <laughs> it's it is it's like isolation within isolation. You know, um, right. I think it'd be a lot easier if we were just you know carrying on as normal, chatting away. And but it's weird. You know, we're kind of. <laughs> Even watching TV programs together via FaceTime, if you know what I mean. And, right. and uh, even though she's three yards away, we can't see each other. It's, it's very strange. Yeah, she's I mean, upstairs. You can't, you can't miss Emmerdale, can't you? <laughs> Emmerdale. <laughs> Does that still exist? I don't uh, know. I'm sure we'll get someone on, on Twitter slagging. Oh, what do you mean you don't know about Emmerdale? Um, no, oh, actually, talking of soaps, do you watch soaps? I don't. No. 
Um, I used to. When I have to say, I used to. When in the early days of my marriage, we used to watch Brookside and EastEnders. Um, it's one of those things. I think if you fall out of the habit, it's quite difficult to get back into. So um, no, I used to enjoy soaps when I was younger. Well, cocaine for the masses, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I have to say, I used to years ago have a soft spot for neighbours. I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's soap operas are different now because that you've got so much viewing choice and so much social media and so much, you know, r- such a range of things that you can do. Whereas, you know, of an evening in the early 90s or late 80s, it was, um, you know, it was your five TV channels, essentially, um, you know, and, and so your, your options were a lot more limited. So people did, I think, gravitate towards soaps a lot more than they do now. Yeah, I think you're right. In fact, I just saw today that Neighbours has been going 35 years. Blimey. Good Lord. I mean, that's terrifying. I, for me, the, the best moment in life, well, not really, but a, a good moment in life was uh, I got to know Jason Donovan. Um, Did you? Yeah. Yeah, we, we used to um, have a sauna together at a what? health club. We, <laughs> I, I used to go to the, this health club in Notting Hill. And um, it was it was fantastic. And most days, I would <laughs> I would have a sauna and a steam with Jason Donovan and Dave Allen, the comedian. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, got got to know them both pretty well actually. And Dave Allen was it's very one of awkward them. striking up a conversation in a sauna. <laughs> I always find. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. There was nothing untoward. Um, no, but it's just awkward. It's an awkward place to kind of have a conversation because I mean it's a it's a fairly intense environment to start with. Yeah, sort of piping but, up and sort of with small talk. Yeah, and and most of it was uh, the smell of the sauna and steam room, not because of those two, but often because of the kind of place it was. It was a, a eucalyptus and alcohol smell because there was right. a lot of people sweating out the night before. But uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I got got to know them both. And Dave Allen, he, he was a very nice guy actually, and not very funny most of the time. He really he was one I never of those. Found him that funny? No, I didn't. The idea of Dave Allen was funnier than the comedian, but he was a very nice guy, and and, uh, and I got to know Jason, who was also very nice. Um, but yeah, there you go. When was this then? Was this the, in the early nineties? Yes, it's got to be Britpop days. Okay. So um, while you were off with Oasis and I was away doing stuff with Blur, I was steaming in between. Yeah. I had a sauna with Damon once with Damon Albarn. Yeah. When we went to uh, the cup, winners' cup final in Stockholm, and we went to we were we were in this you me and he were in the same hotel. That's right. And and we had a we had a sauna together, a naked sauna. Yes, well, that's the best way. To lucky have him. Yes, lucky him. <laughs> in fact, yeah, we used to go up to the Porchester Baths. Um, oh yeah, up yeah, in Queensway, and yeah. we'd go there and. The the person who ruled the roost was Ian McShane, the actor. Yes. And they did the best poached eggs in the world at the Porchester Bath. So we'd, we'd have breakfast with Ian McShane. And um, that was really good fun. Because, so, of course, he played a dodgy antique dealer, <laughs> which you know all about. Absolutely. He, he, <laughs> he was my aspirational figure. <laughs> For those who don't know, I have an art business away from um, filmmaking and writing and things. And yeah, he he was. It was kind of really 
quite strange because he he was a bit quieter during the the mid 90s nobody if, if you're living outside the uk you don't know under, understand half of what we're talking about do you no so look it up because you've got plenty of time so on ian mcshane played a character in, in, a, in a show called lovejoy which was about a dodgy antique dealer wasn't it and he yes. was a, sort of ducking and diving and bobbing and weaving and um yeah i'm sure you had a lot in common yeah, absolutely. No, he he was good, and and it was that period when he he wasn't because re- he, he's had a bit of a resurgence. So well, he was in Deadwood. Wasn't I was he? just going to say a, a huge Sky Atlantic. Was it Sky Atlantic? I think it was. Yeah, big big sort of global hit, wasn't it? So. Oh, I love Deadwood. It's brilliant. I, they actually did a, a follow up film recently. They did. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, uh, I, been, I, and it might he's HBO. Was it HBO? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it was HBO with Sky, I think, or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, fantastic. So, yes, there we go. Now you know who we've steamed with. Uh, <laughs> Can't have a sauna in. these days. Anyway, that's, off, that's on the band list at the moment, oh. sauna and steam. I like a sauna and steam. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, if ever you're going to find droplets, it's... <laughs> It's in the steam room, isn't it? I'd like to come into my Petri dish. <laughs> oh, dear. So how's your first week of isolation been, Andy? Have I'm not been... enjoying it. No? No, I'm not enjoying it at all. I thought I would, because, I mean, I do work on my own. I mean, I work from home, and I'm, I'm a consultant, so I work on my own. Um, but I was saying to you earlier, I don't... This whole not having anything to look forward to thing, I'm finding quite difficult. You know, it's particularly football. Football is, you know, you don't... wait. Well, probably do realize if you're listening to this podcast what huge part of your life it is you know and this idea that you know however difficult work might be or however unenjoyable other parts of your life may be at least I can go to the bridge on Saturday and watch Chelsea Um, or at least there'll be three or four you know good games on over the weekend that I can immerse myself in Um, and I can look forward to that or I can look forward to seeing my friends or playing cricket or whatever it is that you do that not having anything to look forward to thing, I'm finding quite hard, if I'm honest. No, I, I can understand that. Um, it, it's When things, as you say, when you're on your own and you decide to be on your own, it's very different to being told you've got to be on your own. So It really is, yeah. It really is, because you know, at any point you can go, oh, I'm going to go down to the shops, or I might just bunk off and go to the cinema, or I might just ring Tony and go and see him and we'll have a drink. You know, you can't do any of that. You know, you can basically go out for one once a day and, you know, jog around the park in my case. Um, and that's it. You know, I mean, I love spending time with my wife and my family and that's great. But, you know, it does, it, it makes your world a lot smaller and, you know, and, and, and makes things a lot more claustrophobic. Um, and I, I'm finding it difficult. And we were talking about, yeah, well, we could sit down and just watch Netflix all day. But I'm finding it difficult to do that, just to kind of sit down and, and immerse myself in, in that. I'm just finding myself a little bit on edge all the time. And I'm sure that's a very, very common experience. But, you know, the first week, not enjoyable. Maybe I'll get into a rhythm with it. Yeah. And I, also, I guess we, you know, the one thing we were talking about as well earlier is it's a bit different for me in a rural and isolated community as it is to an urban area. For me, nothing's really changing. A bit more of a sense of community, though, I would say. People are checking in. They're going mm. to the shops and living in a place where there's only 10 houses. They suggest they go and get anything for me. And I'm thinking people are pretty wonderful. But I guess that's not necessarily so in in. um places where everyone lives in in smaller enclaves and as in you know houses without gardens and what have you not not really the same sort of sense of community in urban areas i guess 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like I live in the hood. I mean, I live in St Albans, which is quite a nice, um, you know, dormitory town just outside London, you know, so it's not a struggle. But I'm not seeing where I live a huge amount of community, mainly because nobody's allowed out their houses, really. So you're not seeing people. Maybe if, if we were congregating or, you know, there would be. Um, so so this kind of lack of seeing people is, is not fostering a sense of community. I mean, if you live in an urban environment, you know, which, which I do, it's city you know but it's not a, as I say it's not a, not a particularly edgy city but it is a city and you know if you live in that type of environment you probably don't know a lot of your neighbours anyway and cities tend to be f- quite transient in terms of people come and they go so I'm not I'm not seeing that at the moment you know when I do go to the supermarket there isn't a sense of you know bonhomie about it you know people are focused on getting what they want to get and probably a little bit fearful nobody's talking to each other in the park because you've got to be two meters apart it's you know it's I don't see it to be honest I think probably if you're in a rural community like you are it's uh, it's easier to kind of to, to foster a, a, a sort of more of a sense of closeness than it is where I live yeah and no, it's it's one of those things I, I guess it just changes from location to location how people are but um, but you're getting your exercise in aren't you you're yeah you're... I'm jogging around the park I mean I, I've never I've never jogged before I used to, I mean I'd started going to the gym in January I never even did that before um, and you know I was pretty focused on losing some weight that's what I wanted to do um, so I started eating properly or eating less and um, you know because you know frankly just a bit greedy you know so I, I ate less <laughs> And then I started to go to the gym and I, I started to not in, not enjoy it as such, but get into a bit of a rhythm with it. And then I just thought, this isn't a good place to be. It's kind of disgusting. People aren't wiping the machines down. So I've been that. And I thought, well, what can I do? I'll, I'll try and jog around the park. And I just thought, God, this is miserable. And the first time I did it, I got three quarters of the way around. This was two weeks ago. And I just thought, I can't do this. And I kind of gave up out of breath and my legs were hurt and it was just rubbish but I stuck with it and two weeks I think it's two weeks on yesterday or Sunday I managed to go four times round and I actually thought that was huge it was, huge. It was only like 2.7 kilometers 1.6 miles or something so it wasn't massive but you know for me it was like this is god this is an achievement so I had a kind of sense of achievement out of it um and and that's good and I think you need at times like this you kind of need that you need to do things that give you a sense of worth and a sense of achievement so that was that was my thing what you've been doing uh well yeah I've been taking a walk with the dog up what I call Jack's Hill uh which is a, a walk she always used to do before she got isolated it's quite a steep hill and it was actually a bit like uh you're running round um the park um that was like oh this is hard work out of breath and now uh, I'm getting up it quite quickly. Um, so, yes, this is the great thing about all these things. If you see improvement, it keeps you doing doing the, the things that are good for you. And Yeah, I think there's a, there's a sort of lack of motivation in people's lives at the moment. I mean, people are motivi- motivated by what? You know, by, by, you know, they always say, don't they? Or I always, you know. Always, I always like this phrase, which is you only need three things in life, someone to live, somewhere to live, someone to love and something to look forward to. Well, most people have got somewhere to live um, and hopefully a lot of people have got someone to love. But the, the third thing, there's something to look forward to, I think, has been taken away. And, you know, if you think where people get their motivation from, whether it's from work or from sports or from family or from you know, all these other things, a lot of that's been stripped away. So finding things that give you motivation, whether it's running around a park or walking a dog or learning French or doing something, it, I think it's really important. Otherwise, I think there's going to be a huge mental health 
health crisis. Uh, without a doubt. Uh, it's also making a lot of people who don't like doing it become introspective and look at themselves. And and that that's always a, a dance that some people may not want to do. Um, God, I don't. Well, well you, you don't want to look at yourself. I want to look into my soul. I don't want to look into the abyss. <laughs> the darkness the horror the yeah. horror um yeah looked you know, into the but... abyss and the abyss looked back <laughs> and it had even bigger teeth <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i, I agree I, I think exercising is is important as well because it does release endorphins and endorphins naturally make you feel more positive so yeah i'm not gonna be running any marathon soon but you know I'm, I, I just, it's irrelevant just that's not run, the point you know, running down a park and, and and getting out of breath i think it is good for you you know i'm missing i'm missing sport i'm missing i, I i'm never going to take sport for granted again you know well, i don't care what it is i just you know whether it's f- f- high board diving or horse racing i mean it doesn't matter i'm just i've just missed that you know that that sporting thing you know it's such a great i can't i just miss being engaged with it and, and engrossed in it and immersed in it um and you know i'm desperately desperately missing football so what we're doing is missing the drama of sport that that yeah. is the greatest soap the opera of, of all. sport yeah exactly i mean i guess what we have at the moment to look forward to are decisions about football uh, they're, they're looking at as though this week they're going to announce what they're going to do with the seasons uh, the well they've se- already done it in the lower leagues they've just cancelled them just cancelled the season in the lower leagues haven't they voided them which has caused i think 64 clubs to send a letter of protest to the fa um and potential legal action so that that process has already started which means none of those clubs in the lower leagues and that's kind of conference and below um, ha- are going to experience promotion or relegation, and you know the, the financial impact for a lot of those clubs is 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 enormous. Um, so that that's already starting to rumble. So God knows what's going to happen when we get into the Premier League, League One, League Two. It's who knows. Well, also the, the timing of everything is such that the European uh, meeting about the, the whole way forward. Do we start leagues again in March, April, May, June, or whatever? I think the latest they reckon they could start would be the end of June. Um, seems seems like a, a precarious situation. Um, how, do, how does it resolve itself? Uh, what comes first, European games or national leagues? There are so many questions. What, what would you do if you were in charge of world football... How would you deal with it? I think I'm leaning and towards... making it not a press disaster. Well, I, I'm leaning towards voiding, voiding the season. I have to say, I'm leaning towards basically saying, look, we just have to put this down to extraordinary times and extraordinary circumstances. I just think you have to just say the season as it stands at the moment is void. You know, unfortunately. You know, nobody goes up, nobody goes down. I just think it just, it just, you cannot complete this this season. Um, we cannot complete it effectively and with integrity, and therefore that you cannot call this, um, you know, th- th- this uh, this season in any way complete or or justified. So therefore, I think we just have to avoid it and start the new season later. 
do you think in a... Uh, I can't it, see a way around it. I mean, I know there's all sorts of complicated <laughs> formulas, and, we, and we've discussed a lot of them. We've discussed it, discussed it, discussed... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, so many different ways that you could do it. You know, you could get rid of the cup competitions, you could use those, you could get rid of the winter break, you could play only home games or only away games or play each other once. There's so many different permutations and, and maybe they'll come up with something like that. I just think that we just need to go. It's not happening. You know, we have to look around at the world at the moment and the situation that we're in. Can't play behind closed doors. We've already discussed that. We can't, we can't do any of that stuff. If, if we're going to have any integrity, you have to have a full season where everybody plays each other twice. And if we can't do that, then it's not a season with any integrity. I, I think integrity is such a key word in, in this whole discussion because if you don't have integrity, there is no point. It, it's there a there bit- is no point, you know, because you can say, well, give it to Liverpool because they've been brilliant, but they still need to win two games to, to you know, to, to win the, the league automatically. And there's no integrity by just giving it to them. You can't do that. I mean, I know the emotional response to it is ah oh, well they've done really well and they're miles ahead and they probably will but you know where there's doubt there's no integrity no it, this is what people lose sight of it, it, it's not a personal thing this is a rational mathematical discussion anytime it's like in tennis when you see a player who's winning six love six one five love he hasn't won until he's made it six, love. And we've seen extraordinary times where suddenly the other player does get it together and comes back. If you're until- in a running race, if you're, if you're running around a track and, and it's the 10,000 metres and you've lapped all of your opposition and then there's suddenly a lightning storm and it's starting to strike areas of the stadium and it's just unsafe for the runners to continue the race and you stop the race and the person that's in front is two laps in front. Do you give them the race? Because I didn't cross the finish line. Yeah, this, you know. is, this is absolutely spot on. This is how we have to look at it. Yeah. Nobody wants to rob people of anything. Not even people who are about to win the title. No matter what you think. Uh, but we do need to keep that integrity. And yeah. we need to keep the season together. Until and it has to be correct. you win the title, you haven't won the title. And, I, and that's not being anti-Liverpool. I mean, I have no... There's no love for Liverpool with me. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't like... Liverpool as a football club or the idea of Liverpool at all you know I'm you know they're probably the club that I have the most problems with and it's just I'm not that, that's not me bringing that emotion into the situation that's me being pragmatic saying you didn't cross the finish line so therefore you didn't win and unless so what do we do just play until they win two games and go right that's the season doesn't make any sense you either play all the games or you play none of the games um and then you have to move into next season so how do you protect the integrity of next season i just think it's uh you know i just think if you stop the season now and go i'm really sorry but unfortunately look at the global situation i mean we did it in 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 you know two world wars you know there's precedent for stopping seasons and just you know stopping football um and picking it up at a later date and I think that, you know, I'm really leaning towards the idea that we just write this one off. I'm really oh. sorry, guys. We write it off. Let's start again in September, a couple of weeks late, and let's try and make up time with some midweek games to, to do that. Otherwise, I just think we tie, each other, tie, tie the whole thing up in knots. Would you still let people keep the goals they've scored, or would they get written off as well? Now, that's a very good point that I haven't even thought about. Mm. What would you do? I would say the goals count. Because they were played in competitive matches. 
I yeah, don't... I'd agree with that. I think they, you know, there's a sense that you know, if if a game is completed, then that's a game. What we're talking about is leagues, aren't we? We're talking about league positions and and final positions. I don't think we can justify the integrity of that, but we can certainly say that a completed game is a kind of unit of worth, and therefore the goals scored within those games have some value. I, I, yes, I think I think you can give people their goals. Okay, they might I... be they might be asterisked. Yeah, you know, in the sense of scored scored in a non-completed league, but they're still goals. Otherwise, you know, they Tammy... were scored in. Premier League games in front of a crowd and television cameras, so therefore, I don't think you can take them away. No, otherwise Tammy goes to naught, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, <laughs> that would be yeah. awful. I don't. I don't think you can do that. And I think there's an argument to say that you know a completed ninety minutes or ninety minutes plus injury time is is a fair unit that you can use. A a, a non-completed league isn't. No. Uh, also, uh, maybe there's there's something to be said if that happens. <clears throat> maybe we leave this season unfinished and it's it's kind of a monument to all those affected and sadly died of the virus. Maybe there's something poignant that one could do for it. I don't know. Just an idea. I mean, I saw a brilliant... I mean, the guys from We Are The Shed who do the flags in the shed did that brilliant thank you NHS flag. Did you see that? No, I didn't. On Instagram? It's worth looking, looking them up on Instagram, We Are The Shed, and looking at the flag they designed that they want to do on the first game we played back, which is just brilliant you know it's a fantastic blue flag with the old Chelsea crest with thank you NHS written across it which is I just think a really simple powerful thing that you know that people in large crowds at time like this can do really effectively yeah uh, we'd we'd all back that Oh, without a doubt, uh, I, I feel for everybody in the NHS because I did think you have, in the did you clap from outside of your house? Did you can you do that in your little village? Well, I can do it. There ain't nobody here in it, but that's yeah, what I'm asking. We had was, a clap. Did, did your neighbours do it? Uh, no, I, I, <laughs> so it was just you. It was just me. So there you go. <laughs> but you know, it doesn't matter. I have to say, it was great in my road. You know, I've just sat, you know, and moaned about the lack of community here, but everybody came out of their houses and clapped. It was amazing. It was really moving, I have to say. We need And that is moments. one thing you can do in urban communities. You can come out and show that that kind of community solidarity, you know, at times like that really effectively. I agree. All right. Well, look, uh, it's time for our little break, but we'll be back in a minute and we'll have Naz Kinsella talking us through what he's been up to and we'll have first, worst and best as well. We'll speak to you in a minute. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. Andy, um, what's interesting, and, and we're going to hear 
from Naz shortly, but um, I, I think it's very interesting the fact that everybody is is coming up with longer reads, even on the websites, on the Chelsea website. And I don't know whether you've had a look at all. Um, there's quite an interesting interview with uh, Pedro this week. No, um, I read it. Uh, yeah, it is interesting because he talks about the isolation. Uh, he stayed here. Um, and his family are still in Spain. He's separated from them because he got caught up in the whole Callum hudson Adoy moment when, of course, they all had to self-isolate for 14 days, the players, and he ended up staying over here. His family's there. He's connecting all yeah, the time. I saw, I've seen him. I've been following him on social media. I didn't read the piece, but, yes, I'm aware of what he's doing. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's tough being separated from loved ones. And, of course uh, it is, yeah. Um, but... What my my point about this, which is something that actually nobody really goes into, because this is, seems to have been syndicated to a lot of newspapers as well, is mm. that he has a foundation and mm. he's helping out people, um, and a lot of sports people have had a, a bit of a bit of a um, I don't know unfair press. Uh, in a lot of ways that they're donating. It's like Roger Federer did, donated a, a million Swiss francs. Um, we've had other players doing it. Um, you, you know, the, the, these these sort of moments where they're getting slagged for, for helping out and it's a press opportunity. It's no small thing, no matter how much money you've got, to donate huge amounts. And, and the Chelsea Foundation, all the squad have donated that to, to that to help the vulnerable. Um, foundations and the way players and the way football communities are, are reacting is really interesting and, and an important aspect that, that goes unnoticed. And when it gets noticed, it's for the wrong reasons sometimes. Yeah, I think I think the the foundation thing is very interesting, and there's some really good ones out there. Um, let's not kid ourselves. You know, one of the reasons that you know to, to to sort of rain on the parade a little bit. One of the reasons that players set up foundations is they're tax efficient. You know, that they're charitable donations that can be written off against tax. So that's one of the reasons they do them. However, uh, having said that, there are some you know that I've been involved in. For example, I was involved in the Michael Essien Foundation when he was uh, him and his wife. Uh, were uh, involved in the Ebola crisis uh, a few years back. They were uh, helping distribute information about how to stay safe during that particular epidemic. Uh, and that was amazing. Uh, Didier Drogba's uh, foundation uh, on the Cote d'Ivoire was, you know, has, has done incredible things in terms of building hospitals and schools. And I think those players that come from poverty, that come from real poverty, uh, whether they're African or South American, um, particularly, um, seem to have a connection with their countries and their communities that goes beyond some of the more westernised players who I think have set up foundations for more cynical purposes. Um, that's not taking anything away from Pedro because, of course, there are exceptions to the rule. But I'm a little bit suspicious of some of them. But you can't argue with the work as well that have been done by, by, by some of the ones I mentioned. Well, yeah, and, and also the hotel is being used by the NHS at, at Chelsea as well. So football... Yeah, I mean, Gary Neville did that as well. Gary Neville's given over all his hotels to do that. You know, credit to him, credit to Roman Abramovich for making the Chelsea hotels available to the NHS. You know, we talked about Brighton paying their staff throughout this period. You know, all this, all this activity is, is brilliant and, and, and to be lauded. Um, and... You know, the, the the only kind of shame about it is, is that we're slightly surprised. 
you know, we shouldn't be surprised. We should go, this is exactly what football clubs should do. Um, but I think we've, it kind of touches on what you were saying about footballers and football getting a bad press. And actually, this is a really good opportunity to, to, to pivot some of that PR towards what, what they are doing and what they can do. And, you know, there's certainly, there's certainly something to be said for how some football clubs, a lot of football clubs maybe, are stepping up and helping out. And again, this is bringing back to community the idea that actually football was always about the community. When, and we've when, lost that, haven't we? Yeah. We've lost that. You know, you're absolutely right. It was always about the community. It was always at the centre of the community. Chelsea Football Club was always a rallying point for, for the local community. And as the games got go, global, as the money's come in, as the broadcasters have, have become the most important part of the puzzle, we've lost a lot of that. So this is a really good opportunity to football, for football clubs to connect with people. Reconnect with people. Long may it continue because I I do think there is worth and there is substance with within all these um, these ways of connecting with the community, and also makes you feel part of a club again. And that spirit is essential. And maybe we'll take that moving forward, and football will become. Again, the sport of the people. For for the last few years, I, I know friends of mine who've left football behind because they they think it's become so disassociated from the fans that how many times do we talk about the fans get neglected in so many ways they get treated badly in certain situations away fans get treated appallingly often you know we've talked about how it is going to barcelona and uh, all these sort of places just maybe we can put a bit of humanity back into the game yeah no 100 percent agree all right, well, we, ha- we still have our man from Goal.com, Mr. Nizar Kinsella. He's still out there working, as all these journos are. They're, they're all looking at ways to, to keep us, well, entertained, keep us amused, keep us interested, inform us on, on things. And it's really such an important part of work. I, I think journalists are almost like frontline workers as well, in a certain way, in the fact that if we end up, looking on our computer screens every morning and there is nothing to read, we would be in a very, very dark place. So I think everybody who's working in whatever they're doing is actually helping communities, helping people, giving us information, giving us something to read. We haven't got anything to watch other than reruns. And I know you're going to watch Euro um, 96 when, when they're putting that on Andy, but um yeah, that's, I, have you seen that? Have you, did you did you see what's going on with that? Well, do inform us more. Well, ITV um, or ITV Online um, are uh, going to show every game of Euro '96 um, uh, on, from May. So, yeah, May they're going to show all thirty-one games um, from Euro '96, which of course the the Euro- European Football Championships that were held in England. Uh, in 1996 at the height of Britpop, um, at the height of Cool Britannia. And I think I was saying to you, it's, it's, it was, I found that that was a magical tournament for me. It was the last time I think England, the England international team meant anything to me, really. After that, I kind of, I sort of lost interest. I, I, it was, but it was just astonishing. I went to the quarterfinals, I went to the semifinals, both of which were hugely it- iconic games, um, both of which went to penalties. And, um, you know, it was fabulous. So, so to be able to kind of immerse yourself in 31 games of that tournament would be, is going to be brilliant. Are you going to watch all 31? 100%. (laughs) 
Okay, well, you, you'll well, have to knows? keep it. Who knows? I'd like to. I'd like to. But, you know, I mean, definitely, definitely the England games in full. You know, it, the Dutch game, the, the, the game against Spain, and, of course, the game against Germany. It's quite a concept, isn't it, to watch a whole old game um, from the past. I, I remember watching a while ago, they ran the whole of uh, Chelsea Leeds Cup final. Yeah. Um, and that, that was really engrossing because there, there was one brilliant moment where you see, I, I think it was uh, Peter Osgood, just on the left part of the screen, raising a fist. And you'd seen him just tussling with Jack Charlton a moment before. And because there's only like one or two cameras, it just pans just before you see whether whether he actually thumps him or not. Filthy, absolutely <laughs> filthy game. Oh, it was, it was beautifully dirty. Um, yeah. it, it was old-fashioned football. So it's it a, it's a, it's a quite an interesting concept to watch reruns of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're like me, um, but I often watch a film and I forget what's happened in the end. Can we do that with football games? Probably not. No, sadly not, unfortunately. <laughs> OK, well, anyway, here is Naz, who sent us his latest update on how he's keeping busy. Plus, he had a word with a surprise ex-player. Nizar Kinsella, Gold's Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea. Um, I've, I'd like to say I've been out and about like, uh, like I usually am when I, when I come and do this uh, slot for the Chelsea. And, um, yeah, this obviously this time I've been... Uh, at home mainly, you know, we're urged to stay at home and that's the right thing to do. It's a serious time. But, um, yeah, also it's important to try and carry on as normal and do some work. So, uh, yeah, um, from Chelsea's point of view, and I've spoken to a few um, players and stuff this week, they're just keeping fit. I mean, the bike is the main thing, A lot going for a lot of runs. We saw um, Frank Lampard did a Skype interview uh, on the Chelsea uh, app and uh, he sort of talked about that and keeping fit, but he's he's urged his players to prioritise their families in this time because, you know, it is a serious time, it is a serious um, public health uh, risk, this coronavirus outbreak. So um, Frank's been sort of uh, really on point with that message and, and delivered it to his players. And we've seen um, a few footballers around the world uh, fall short of uh, expectations of what we're supposed to do at this time. And, and it really is important that we uh, stick to the advice. So, yeah, important words from Frank Lampard. Uh, William did go back to Brazil, though, um, to be with his family uh, and, and be in, in isolation down there instead, which, you know, you can kind of understand. Uh, I think, uh, as far as I can tell, all the other players have remained in London. Um, so that's kind of where we're at with that. Uh, we could see more going going back if, if the uh, deadline's extended. Um, they're due to return on April 30th. Um, it seems a bit optimistic. I was talking to a... A Premier League player, not at Chelsea, and he he sort of felt it was optimistic, and and he thought that a lot of fellow Premier League players uh, weren't really expecting to be back by then. But they are trying to keep ready for the day they go back, and most of the players I've spoken to also do want to complete the season as well. So um, we're kind of in the situation where everyone's just waiting for the authorities to make their call, be it the UK government, be it the Premier League, be it the FA. Uh, but yeah, that's the situation. And uh, for me, you know, as a football journalist, I like to be out and about. I like to be in the stadiums. I like to be at games and meeting the players. But we've not really been able to do that. And, uh, you know, access to players isn't great at this time either. But uh, luckily, I've um, interviewed a lot of ex-pros, a lot of ex-Chelsea players and uh, maybe even the odd player from another club. So I managed to keep my workload 
reasonably high, which is good. Um, transfers as well, kind of ongoing, but um, nobody's able to complete deals without knowing what the financials are uh, after this coronavirus crisis. Um, t teams could lose a lot of money. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my work. Uh, I wanted to leave you with kind of an example of what I've been doing. Uh, I spoke to Gus Poye um, this week, and yeah, he was really kind to you know, give me a bit of his time, talk over the phone. Um, and yeah, he's a great guy. Spoke about Chelsea, um, got a great history of the club, got a great history in the game in general, and he just loves football. So yeah, listen to a bit of this interview. Um, there's more on goal, but yeah, really appreciate you guys for giving it a plug on the Chelsea. And uh, yeah, speak to you again soon. I think that uh, it started very, very well. I thought it was a, a good. Uh, Good news, a good surprise, uh, in part because of the of the changes that the the team had, especially with the, the young players coming into the team. Uh, you know, as a part of the squad, you know, to, to play week in week out, mm. and I thought it gave them some uh, extra. We call it adrenaline. Like uh, you know, you go, you bring in something extra because of the desire that you were waiting for the opportunity for for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, also, the, the adrenaline of, of proving that you know maybe all the young players from Chelsea that they were so many times on loan, but they never had the chance to play for the first team, uh, and these uh, were the, the ones to prove that maybe there were a few that they were good enough to play. Mm -hmm. They're given an extra bit of uh, adrenaline. Then uh, we know, I mean, experienced people in football, we know that. Uh, sooner or later it's going to go a little bit down the, the energy natural uh, it's impossible to maintain it especially yeah. a very young player and then when he had a little bad spell let him which he was expected as well I know nobody planned it but you have to be uh, uh, realistic realistic and, and know that it will happen and then I think when everybody was started uh, maybe being too critical on the team and and I'm making like points there, eh, we knew it and all this that we, people normally does when they try to put a, <laughs> a point in their own uh, <laughs> in their own side. Uh, the team uh, had very good results at the end and, and I think they finished quite in a, in a good place. Saying that, um, I think you can, like a, a, a normal season in terms of very good moments and uh, a few uh, uh, kind of wake-up calls, you know, especially in, uh, in the Champions League. And we're back. Well, a bit tinny the audio with uh, Mr. Gus Poyet. Um, but for me, he, he still sums up everything about that moment where we started to believe that we had a football side. He was part of that team that had such wonderful characters before... Roman came along. We we had glimpses of what a future with a a wonderful, talented, glorious side could be like. And that goal against Sunderland, that that, and everyone knows which one I mean. That Zola flick. Oh, it, it was beautiful. How how do you feel about Gus Poyet as a as a player? Yeah, no. Look, there was always a lot of. Um... There was always a lot of stuff and nonsense about him going to Spurs and kissing the badge and all that kind of stuff. And yes, of course, you know that that wasn't that wasn't appropriate. And you know he he went down a little bit in in my estimation over that. But I certainly don't hate him in the way that some Chelsea fans do. I thought he was a fabulous 
player for us, just a midfield dynamo that was a goal scorer and you know a, a just kinetic energy, wasn't he? Just was all over the pitch. He kicked people when he had to. He had a lovely touch. He was vocal. I mean, I used to call him Radio, I think, because he never shouted. El Radio. El Radio. Um, where did he come? Did he come from? Was it Rayo Daragotha? Is that where he came from? Oh, I think, I think it was. So. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Um, you know, he was a player that, that came with a pretty big reputation anyway, and I, I just thought he was he was amazing. Scored big goals at big times, um, and you know, I just think was the kind of midfielder that we would absolutely kill for uh, now at the moment. You know, in in in, in you know, when we've got a, a really good developing midfielder as it stands, but you know, Gus Gus would fit straight in there. He was a fabulous player. Uh, no, he was. He, he he that that side was just such a beautiful side. Um, who is your favourite player on that side? And you're not allowed to pick Zola. Zola, um, <laughs> who was my favourite player? I mean, I love Di Matteo. I think Di Matteo was just just oozed grace and class, and um, was just a, you know just a silky, elegant player. Oh, for me, Dan Petrescu. I mean, I actually loved everybody in that squad, including Eddie and and Frank. It was it, Frank Sinclair. I mean, um, it, the, every one of them was lovable. There wasn't often there are squads and you go, oh, I never really liked him. I never rated him. I, I didn't care who came out on the pitch. It was just always entertainment and it was harking back almost to the 70s with the teams of Osgood and Hudson and Hutchinson and Charlie Cook in the way that they entertained they might lose 3-0 or they might win 3-0 you didn't quite know but you knew one way or another most of the time you'd watch an interesting game of football and I think it was the same with this squad and I love Dan Petrescu because in fact his attitude, Marcus Alonso reminds me of Dan Petrescu, that you know, Dan Petrescu would suddenly be on the penalty spot and you you had no idea why. I, he, he, for me, was one of the greatest fullbacks we've ever had. Yeah, he was a really, really great player. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. You know, he called his daughter Chelsea. I didn't actually. Yeah, and um, you know he's, he's 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 a player that's always professed his love for the club and kept close to the club. And whenever whenever there's an opportunity, speaks speaks highly of the club. Um, and yeah, I used to love I used to love uh, Dan Petrescu as well. As you say, everybody in that team was there was a there was a real you know there was a real sense of unity about that team. Um, you know, even people like Eddie Nijka, uh, Eddie Nijkowski, Eddie Newton, um, and you know some of the English players in and around that team as well were, you know, as well as the glamour of Zola and Di Matteo and Poyet and you know Dennis Wise kicking people in the midfield. It was, yeah, it was really, really, really good team. Uh, Dennis was brilliant. <laughs> he was like a throwback to the idea of uh, a narky English footballer. You had all the silky grace and everything, but I actually think Dennis became. A very, very good footballer. He became better and better. Do you remember when he first got picked for England? And everyone got Dennis Wise playing for England. Yeah. But I think he really advanced as a player. Yeah, he was. I mean, yeah. And, and as a captain as well. I thought he was a really yeah. good captain. You know, I mean, that team winning, winning that 97 FA Cup final. Um, you know, the first time we'd won anything, well, certainly won anything for, for, for a very long time, for decades, was, um, you know, was, was, was an amazing stepping stone in in you know what became a golden period for us a bit later on 
Absolutely. Well, talking of golden periods, we we love to look back at golden periods and, and great games. And nice uh, segue, Kerry. I oh, like that. Thank you very much. You've hey, done I'm this just, before. <laughs> yeah, I guess I probably have. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's time for this week's first, worst, and best Chelsea games, and it comes from Chris Castley. My name's Chris Castley. I'm a season ticket holder in the Shed Upper. My first game at Stamford Bridge was around about 1982. At that point, Chelsea were a very average second division side. And uh, with my dad, he had a season ticket in the East Stand. We saw Derby County at home. I believe Chelsea lost 2-1 or 2-0, which wasn't a surprise given how bad they were at that point. Um, I don't remember much of the match other than it being pretty cold and pretty horrible. Um, and uh, yeah, probably not a great sort of first exposure to football at Stamford Bridge. The worst game I think I ever saw was probably at home to Leeds United in Glenn Hoddle's second season. Chelsea went on this horrendous run at home where they couldn't win, win a league match for, for something like about six months, I think it was. Um, we played Leeds, who were a half-decent side at that point in the Premiership. We lost 3-0. The total lack of effort, application by Chelsea that day was was horrendous. I, I, I recall Gary McAllister tore Chelsea apart, um, but he didn't have to try that hard because Chelsea was just appalling anyway. So so that was certainly the, the worst game I think I've ever seen Chelsea play at the bridge, uh, and there have been a few. The best game, for me personally, has to be Liverpool in the FA Cup in the fourth round, 1997. To come from 2-0 down, to come back, uh, Mark Hughes coming on, to overwhelm them in the second half with four brilliantly taken goals. Um, You sense the the atmosphere then, Chelsea, with Hullet, with Zola. They're on the verge of building something special. And I think that that match just encapsulated everything at that point about what supporting Chelsea was like. Um, And I remember thinking straight away, we're going to win the cup now. If we don't win the cup after overcoming Liverpool uh, like that, then then we're never going to do it. So that's my uh, my first, my worst, and my best at Chelsea. Thanks. Oh, Andy, that Liverpool game. Oh, I, uh, uh, that game was just something else. It, it was a real moment, wasn't it? Yeah, you- I mean, I, for a long time, was up there in my favourite games. Was right up there, you know. I mean, it still is. I mean, we've you know we've we've talked about favourite games in the past, and you know, but it's it's right up there for me in terms of drama because that was a really good Liverpool side. We weren't. You know, we were very much the underdogs in that game. Um, you know, we'd gone two down. And after half time, I just think it was, you know, just the, the most incredible performance. And also the first half, it wasn't just going two down. We were rubbish. We weren't great. <laughs> we weren't great. Um, and, um, and, you know, I just think when, you know, Mark Hughes exploded into life and you know Viali and uh and and, and so those three really wasn't it you know that galvanized galvanized the team and we just steamrolled at them in the end it's funny for me I loved Mark Hughes when he was at Chelsea I absolutely adored him I thought he's a wonderful player he did things like no one else he had that real nastiness about him a bit Diego Costa like he'd be upsetting somebody well he was always when 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 people were asked when when players were asked who did you hate playing against Mark Hughes used to come up very often didn't he yeah, he did. And I feel sorry for him because he doesn't seem to get the respect as a as an ex-Chelsea player as he should in in a lot of ways. Well, he came with a lot of baggage, didn't he? 
Well, I guess, but he was still. I never, I never warmed to him. No, I, rem- I remember that. I, I I've always him. said that to him. And I, as a player, yeah, of course. I mean, he scored important goals and made important contributions, but I never felt he was Chelsea. Never felt that he was, and never felt that he fully integrated into the Chelsea side. And I always just thought he was United. I, I, you know, he never looked natural in blue for me. I know that's a kind of controversial thing to say, and I'll probably get flamed for it. But I just never had that 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 engagement and that bond with with Mark Hughes like I do with with other players. Do you think? Okay, that's an interesting point from the point of view. And I know I say interesting too much, but it is actually interesting in the in the fact that we now have a different approach to players moving between clubs. In those days, even still in those days, if a player came from such and such a club, you went, yeah, but they're still really so-and-so. And maybe now, because players move so much more regularly, we accept players having played for this club or that club. You, often you go, oh, I don't want him. He used to play for so-and-so. And I think our approach has changed. Yeah, I mean, it's a much more fluid marketplace now with, with, with players moving a lot more often and, and certainly moving internationally and, and in between teams. I mean, it's still fairly shocking when a Arsenal player goes to Spurs or a you know Liverpool player comes to Chelsea or Spurs player comes to Chelsea and vice versa. There's still those kind of slightly shocking moments when that happens. But generally, I don't think it's as much of a deal these days as it was then. Um, and, you know, Mark Hughes was such a legend for Man United. He was such a pivotal figure in the Ferguson years that coming to us, you know, towards the end of his career, um, I just always didn't never really sat right with me. But maybe that was just the times. And maybe that's just me. Yeah, it could be. And also, we were... I mean, you do irrationally take it... Sorry, you do irrationally take against players sometimes. I'm sure you do. You know, for no particular reason. You just think... I just don't like him or I just don't get it or I just don't feel an affinity with that player. I mean, football's very rational on that point of view. Yeah, and sometimes you just go, he doesn't look right in blue. The first thing I do when we get a new player is I see what he looks like in a Chelsea shirt. It's weird, it is irrational, but that's the beauty of football. That is why we go to football. That's why And the other way around, I mean, David Luiz in an Arsenal shirt still doesn't look right. Well, it looks as though he's done it for a bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just isn't right. Not not on any level. Well, anyway, he's had a, an interesting time of it, but uh, that that's the way it goes. But some players just look immediately right in blue. Uh, yeah. It's like, you mentioned Zola earlier. I remember that first time we saw him and everything looked right about him. Even the fact that his clothes didn't quite look as though they fitted at first. <laughs> mm. He, he, he had something about him, an aura. And then you suddenly saw the man doing those jinks and things. And I still think it's a, it's a close run thing between Zola and Hazard who jinx better. And I think it's Zola every time. Oh, I, I think it is. He's my favorite Chelsea player. Yeah. I, you I, know, I, I think Zola and Zola and Lampard are very, very, very close. For me, but I'd probably put Zola. My daughter's middle name is Zola. I was just, oh, I was just setting you up for that. I was yeah, just going to give. Like, you know, I just love the guy. I love. I loved him as a as a as a player, and I loved him as a man. His humility, you know, his class. I just think that he was an amazing. You know, and he came to us so late in his career as well. Um, but we just we got the best of him, and I just loved loved watching him every time he played. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. And I always used to feel 
sad when he wasn't in the team because he did that last year or so. He was in and out of the side. He wasn't a regular pick. And uh, I missed him when he didn't appear on the pitch. Mm. There are players you go. It's like Costa. I always wanted to see him on the pitch. Well, he had a great last season, didn't he? Finished, Finished on a high. Yeah, which, of course, Abramovich was going, oh, my God, can we get him back? <laughs> and that was the mark of the man. You know, he went off to Cagliari, didn't he? Um, yep. and, and said, no, I've, I've given my word. You know, I've said that I'm going to go. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to break my word. Um, you know, which is another measure of his class, I think, that he didn't do that. You know, because Abramovich probably offered him loads of money. And, you know, and he said, look, I can't, I can't break the commitment that I've made. You know, and that's exactly what you'd expect from him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we we will never see his like again until we get the next big thing. <laughs> but there is something. Maybe he's from a different time as well. Maybe you can't have players who are like that. I don't know. Anyway, Andy, it's that time where we have to say goodbye to everyone. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been listening and all the messages uh, that you're enjoying what we're doing. Um, I hope you'll enjoy this one as much as you did last week. Uh, We've got a lot of things that we're trying to get going. Uh, Next week, I'm hoping that I'll have a chat with Rick because people wanted to know more about the the area around Stamford Bridge and the environs, as it were. So The what? The environs, the surroundings, right. the, the, the area around Stamford Bridge, basically. Okay. So we're going to hopefully chat about that in the next few it's days. It's going to be a load of pubs, is it? Well, no. It'll be, hopefully, we'll look at things like the station and what, what the area symbolizes. The cemetery. the cemetery, exactly. Well, all these sort of things we can touch on. So maybe if any of you got any questions that you want me to put to Rick when I speak to him, feel free to to fire them over and um let's see where we get to on it um yeah. but yeah the good thing is and if you don't already um please follow us on social media um on twitter it's at chelsea podcast and on instagram it's at the chelsea podcast um and and let us know what you think because you know we don't know whether we're just talking to nobody out there and if you have things you want us to talk about um you know because we are just talking you know just talking there's no script here we're just freestyling so if there's something you want us to you know to, to talk about or address then we'll you know let us know on twitter or you know drop us a dm or whatever you want to do and we'll we'll um you know we'll see if we can build it in somehow yeah and actually i just want to say one thing um that's not true about this not being scripted i wrote all andy's best lines really i did <laughs> <laughs> all right mate well look it's it's great to catch up um Keep well, keep healthy, keep running, and um, we'll see you all next week. Cheers, then. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.